This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, everybody. Rearrange all my stuff here. Cool. And I can just talk really loud if my microphone doesn't work because I'm loud. Um, thanks to everybody that came to the intensive uh, this week. That was like the highlight of my week. I had a great time. Um, and we're, we were uh, somewhat subversively, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, sneaking coffee back to the gathering. Um, so <laughs> Jesse made us coffee for the intensive, so that I was thankful for that. Um, you were talking about your first GC being Cole's, well, I think everyone's first GC was Cole's GC. <laughs> Because Cole has just Cole has just been around that long, um, so I appreciate that. And I'm thankful for some of the memories I have from my also my first GC, uh, being in Cole's GC. Um, so I'm just gonna roll with what we got here. I feel like we're in some technical difficulties, but that doesn't matter for the rest of us who are here. Um, we're we're in our in our third sermon, um, you know, being taught this. In First Corinthians, and kind of take us all to Easter, where we're going to see how we're taught by the Spirit in regards to to the resurrection. So we thought that was an uh, appropriate kind of way to end the series uh, and to sort of talk at Easter. We're actually not going to hit every single verse in the book of Corinthians, but I I want to say we're going to get through like eighty or ninety percent of it. Um, so we are going to get through a. a huge portion of the book of Corinthians, uh, basically from beginning to end, but we may skip. Uh, what we're doing right now is we're kind of, the first three sermons, sort of, we took three chapters in the book are sort of foundational things that will kind of carry us through the rest of the book. We get some really foundational elements in uh, first well, that will be important as we can some of the practical, some of the more commercial things, uh, some of the things we probably weren't even thinking about. But as we get through the rest of the letter that Paul wrote, some of the things that we're learning in these first few weeks are sort of key to, to sort of hang on to as we're, as we're dealing with that. Um, so in our introduction, we said, well, why do we need to be taught by the Spirit? A few weeks ago, we said, why do we need to be taught by the Spirit? And we said that as a community, as a local community, together we're not lacking anything so oh hey i'm live all of a sudden Um, we're talking about how we're equipped we're talking about how we're equipped together so that we're not lacking anything in our introduction and we don't recognize that there's no way for us to to see that unless we're taught by the spirit so our introduction was sort of like why don't we be taught by the spirit we need the spirit see all the things that we've given by god in the second sermon, the, the thing that we talked about last week is we sort of home, what does it look like? What does it look like? About how the Spirit works not in plausible ways, but in powerful ways. The Spirit works not in plausible, but in powerful ways. And an example of that is one prayer. You know, we, uh, it was providential how that worked out it was the first time we opened it up for corporate prayer starting at 9 45 every sunday that was last week prayer is another one of those sort of 
not really plausible things. In, in a sense, we don't feel like it should, should do a whole lot, but this is actually a powerful way in which God works. And it was encouraging just to kind of share with you guys last week some of the answers to prayer and just see how God is working in these, in these powerful ways and not, not plausible ways. So this morning then, we're kind of laying the third foundational element before we jump into some of the more practical things that we'll see throughout the rest of the book. Uh, ben is gonna kick us off uh, next week uh, with some of that, but the, this is sort of our third sort of like foundational thing that we're studying as we go through the book. And it's, it's this idea that the Spirit enables us to find our glory. The idea that the Spirit enables us to find our glory. And I think glory is one of those words that's used in the Bible kind of a handful of ways. Um, this is the good, good Google definition of it right here, which I think actually encompasses a lot of the things. Um, it, glory can be magnificence or great beauty, and there's this idea in the Bible that the glory of God is revealed in the temple. Like they, they, they visually see the light, or they visually see the fire by day and the pillar by night. They visually see these things, and they're described as, as glorious. Um, another uh, way that we talk about glory in the Bible is, is kind of here. Is a, uh, number one is high renown or honor won by notable achievements. So we, we talk about the glory of God in accomplishing redemption. Where is God most glorified? Where do we see most of the, the, the glory of God? And we see the glory of God in what he, what he accomplishes. Redemption, when we talk about how, the, how the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Son, this is, this is God accomplishing redemption, and this is, this is him being glorified for having high renown or honor by his notable achievement for redemption. So this idea, this kind of this idea of glory, that we're all trying to find glory, I think is a little more relatable or common than we think. We may not use this word necessarily, but it's hard not to think of like all the football games going on today. Tom Brady is trying to find glory this afternoon. He's already got one for every finger and he's working on the next hand as far as Super Bowl rings go. He is, he is trying to find glory in, in, a, in an intense way, whether it's his diet or how much he practices or, or whatever, but he's, he's, he's pursuing glory this afternoon when they play football. And it's not, it's not always things that are kind of, you know, that, that big or that magnificent. We pursue glory in other ways. And I think about, uh, I can tell you the fastest lap time at Wash Park on a bicycle and how close I am to getting that king of the mountain. In a sense, you're, you're pursuing glory. You want that, like, notable achievement. And it's like, like 32 miles an hour average. So it's like, I don't know if I'll ever achieve that glory. But even, even the pursuit, even the pursuit of that glory and the thought of that will kind of energize me even when I'm, when I'm on my bicycle and I'm like, you know, but I'm like, let's just, let's see how fast we can go. And, and we pursue that glory in other ways too. We, we want sort of this notable achievement uh, at work or that's like a common thing, you know? Like if we're at work and we're doing a good job, some of us like, to move up the ladder, you know, there's this, this corporate ladder that's there. Some of us just really like the idea that people we know that we work with just affirm us. There's, there's, there's this glory of just having someone at work say, hey, I really appreciate what you did. I think you did a good, drop, good job. And there's, there's different ways that we pursue glory at work. Another kind of, you know, I think about even at home, like really simple things. If we clean up or we, we rearrange or something and then, then, then our, our roommate or our spouse comes home, we want, 
we kind of want recognition for that thing that we achieved um, because, hey, look, it's so much nicer now. We're, we, we're, we're, yeah, we have a couple head nods on that. We're, 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 but that sort of glory that we pursue, it's a, it's, a, it's a notable achievement enough that when you come home, you need to recognize that that is what happened. Um, but but we're, we're pursuing this glory. And I, and I like the second definition because I think for those of us that don't maybe relate to the achievement side of things, we also pursue beauty. We also pursue magnificence or great beauty. And I think sometimes that magnificence or that, that beautiful thing can just be like the perfectly plated dinner at your favorite restaurant. Like there's just some beauty there and you just enjoy that experience and you just dive into it. Uh, another way, a uh, little more, it could be uh, just why we climb mountains, you know? When you're up that high and you're standing on top and you're just looking around, like you, you're pursuing that beauty. You're pursuing that glory. And it, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's exciting. Um, I think about, uh, I had one, but I lost it there. So, oh, trips. That's another way we pursue glory. <laughs> Getting some head nods on that one too. You go, you go to somewhere cool. Like who, you know, Denver is awesome. We love Denver, but who, who doesn't want to sit on the beach with a Corona and watch the waves, you know? I prefer the pool bar because I don't like sand, so I kind of stay away from sand as much as I can. Um, but you're, you, you pursue the beauty and magnificence of even sort of traveling in different places and things that we experience. And this, is, this is so fundamental to who we are made in God's image is that we are always looking for glory that we, we probably don't even recognize it when we're going after glory in all these different ways. And there's a, there's a couple of caveats that I wanna bring into play here when it, when it talks about how we pursue glory. I think one of them you may anticipate um, or in one of them you may not. And I'll start with the one that you may not. Uh, if you, when we pursue glory... That's 100% something that we're made to do. We're 100% encouraged by our creator, made in his image, to pursue glory. We should look for glory. We should try to find glory. We should, we should, we should love the experience of the, the beautiful thing that we see. We should 100% pursue glory. Look at the verse and put it up on the screen in Romans. I just want to quickly make this point. He says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And there's some, there's some theological context of what that's saying right there. We're not going to dive into all of that. But I just want to make the point that from a biblical perspective, we should seek for glory. We should actually, we should actually aim for and, and try to find glory. And I think maybe the, the, the caveat that you were expecting as we talked about how we pursue glory is that in, in most of us, actually naturally, who we are, we pursue glory in places that fall short. We pursue glory in ways that are not ultimately fulfilling. I think about, it's, the Brady example is hilarious to me. Why do you think he needs a six ring? Because <laughs> the other five aren't enough. Like, why do we have to go on the next vacation? Because it was beautiful and we need it again. Why do we need another beautiful plate of food or, or more recognition for the things that we do? Because we're, we're, we should pursue glory. We should definitely pursue glory. We should look for glory, but we're looking for it in ways that are ultimately unfulfilling. We look for glory 
And we pursue glory as we should, made in God's image, but we look for glory in ways that are ultimately unfulfilling. And so that kind of what brings us to our passage this morning. We're talking about being taught by the Spirit. How does the Spirit enable us? If we're taught by the Spirit, then we can actually find glory. We can actually find glory that's finally fulfilling. We can find glory where we can finally rest in. We can find the glory that we were designed to, to, to seek for, to pursue, to look for. When we're taught by the Spirit, we can actually find the glory that we were made and driven to find. So that's what we're going to look at this morning in 1 Corinthians. Um, let's take a minute to pray, and then we'll kind of just uh, walk through the text. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that you created us in your image to find glory and to pursue things that are beautiful and to, and to pursue uh, honor from accomplishments. You're, you've designed those made in your image to pursue glory. So I thank you for that impulse, Lord. I pray as we desire to be taught by your spirit and your word, I pray that you would convict us in a way that only you can through your spirit. You would convict us of, of, of lesser pursuits of glory. When we, when we go to that, you'd convict us of of how, you, how we object to how you even tell us to pursue glory. I pray that you would convict us of, of, of righteousness in the sense, Lord, that we would see the glory that you've put in for, before us, that we'd see that glory, and by your spirit, we'd be drawn towards it. We'd see the beauty of what you've put in front of us, and we would pursue that, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would do what, um, what no speech could do, Lord. I pray that your spirit would convict us of those things and encourage us with your gospel. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to just start right away in, in verse 6 as we talk about how do, we, how do we find our glory? How do we find the glory as we're taught by, taught by the Spirit? He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although, there is not a wis- although not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And it's... It's sort of like this transitionary verse. Um, I mentioned it earlier. We were talking about how God works in, in not in plausible ways, but he works in powerful ways. God doesn't work in sort of reasonable ways that make sense to us, but in, in powerful ways. And that's what Paul was talking about before. And now he says, yet, he says, yet, although what Paul is saying is true, that God doesn't work in plausible ways, on the other hand, we actually do have wisdom. God actually does have wisdom to those who are mature. So this is sort of this, this transitionary sentence right here sort of bringing us into this, this other element. We talked about how the spirit doesn't work in plausible ways. Paul's like, but on the other hand, on the other hand, God actually does have wisdom to those who are mature. And he goes on in the next verse, look at what he says. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God and this is kind of where we get into this idea of our glory. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God determined before the world began for our glory. So the question is, what is this, what is this secret and hidden wisdom of God that's actually where we find our glory? What is this secret and hidden wisdom of God from where we find our glory. And he doesn't just outright say what it is, 
But and these, aren't, these passages aren't on the screen, but if, if we go back, we look at chapter one, you can look at verse 18. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. This idea of a, a crucified savior, this idea that uh, a king who would suffer and die, everyone thinks is foolish, but he says, for those of us who are being saved, this is the very power of God. And he kind of goes on, he's developing this theme that, that, that people reject that seems to be this hidden, this hidden truth that's in, in the gospel. He goes on to develop this theme in verse 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified, which for, for sort of a, a first century here, we preach the Messiah King crucified. We preach the, the, the powerful savior of the world, Messiah, but crucified. This is, this, is a, this, is not, this is a stumbling block, he says, for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But this, this idea that power and might and wisdom are in crucifixion, he says, is, is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say, God chose what is weak in the world. Well, why did God chose what is weak in the world? To shame the wise, to shame the wise. He says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And he, he's continuing down this path of this sort of, this backwards idea that there's suffering and there's weakness, there's weak things that actually shame the strong things. There's, there's suffering things that actually accomplish great and powerful things. And in chapter two, this is right before our section, in verse two, he says, Paul, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul's saying, I, I showed up in weakness. I showed up afraid. And I, and I did that and I focused on this crucified Messiah. I did that because then you will have your trust and your faith in what God is capable of doing. So that, and that brings us to this passage, this hidden wisdom of God. So then what, we say, well, what is this hidden wisdom of God? The hidden, the hidden wisdom of God is that we find our glory in suffering and weakness. The hidden wisdom of God is that you and I find glory and wisdom and power in our suffering, in our weakness. The, the genuine, fulfilling glory of God that we should be doing is found in suffering and in weakness, which makes sense of the next verse. Look at verse eight. He says, look, if the, the, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. If they knew that power and majesty and beauty and accomplishment and glory were found in suffering and weakness, then they wouldn't have killed our Lord. Because that's the most powerful thing he's ever done. And it's in suffering and weakness. He goes on in verse nine to kind of give us some language here. He says, but as is written, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I feel like I had, I feel like I had like understood this verse a little differently before. Like, oh, we just you know, can't imagine how, how wonderful all the things we have for God is, but in, in this context, it, the, Jesus says this all the time, those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, 
This is coming from a passage in Isaiah that's talking about how we're blinded by our sin. But because of the fall and our idolatry, we start to become like the, the dumb, deaf, mute things that we worship. And so there's this idea that God, Paul's looking back and he's like, yeah, they didn't get it. It was hidden mystery because they, they don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They can't even imagine that God would work great power and glory. They can't even imagine that they would find their glory in suffering and in weakness. That's what sin does. It blinds us to these things. And I think that it's easy to kind of like point at and look at, you know, oh, they crucified Jesus. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. But we have to kind of like be honest with ourselves and say, um, we don't think this way. I don't pursue glory a lot in my suffering and in my weakness. And I think about all the, the difficult things that like we have to deal with on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis or last year. You know, I think about ways that we suffer. We suffer and we feel weakness when, when we deal with people. You know, people are hurtful. People are difficult. People sometimes are insulting. Sometimes those people are people you just ran into on the street or don't know. Sometimes those are people who live in the same home as you. And that's, that's hard. There's suffering there. And I think about just the environments that most of us are in. Some jobs are just overwhelming. Some jobs just suck the life out of you. And that's real suffering. Some, some jobs reveal our weakness. We just fail. But that's difficult. And we have to deal with that. I think about even just weakness and in, in brokenness and in, in suffering in, in ourselves internally. I mean, how much I, we have shame from things that we've done. And sometimes that's something we did in the moment and, and, we, and we feel guilty. Sometimes those are big, painful things in the past. That hurts. And that's, that's we feel weakness and we feel shame inside of us. Sometimes it's, it's things like how we can't handle a situation and we get overwhelmed with anxiety or, or we're down or we're struggling and we have this, we just wrestling with this weakness that's inside of us. How is that? How is that weakness and suffering that we have to deal with, whether in people or in our environments or in ourselves, how is that where we find real glory? If we're honest with ourselves and we think about some of the ways where we're struggling, yeah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. I I can't imagine that God would use those difficult things I can't imagine that God would use my weakness and my suffering to work real glory in me. How do we come to terms with that? And I think Paul goes on to help us sort of answer this question. He's like, yeah, you can't imagine these things. This doesn't make sense to you. But look at verse 10. He says, but these things, this, this, this mystery hidden, the fact that God works glory in our suffering and our weakness These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And I feel like that's kind of like Paul helping us out a little bit, just saying, yeah, you don't, you don't understand how God works glory in your weakness, in your suffering, but because these, are, these come from the very thoughts and intentions of the creator himself. And, and, and I'm no more to jump into Ben's mind and, and hear the thoughts going on to his head, as difficult as that would be, than I could do that for the Lord. Like, how do I, how do I understand how God is working out all of these things in my life? That's, that, that's impossible. No wonder I can't see or I can't understand these things. He's like, but this is why you've been given the spirit. The same spirit that does understand, the same spirit that, that comprehends this idea that, that God works real glory, that we can find our glory in our own weakness and our own suffering, that same spirit is what God has given you to understand those things. That same spirit is what God has given you to, to open your eyes so that you could actually, so, so that you could actually see and understand what he says, what, what God has prepared for those who loved him. And look at the next verse. He kind of goes on to sort of help us understand how the Spirit works in this way, how we can actually find glory in our weakness and our suffering. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, might understand the things freely given to us by God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And I think about this idea that in our suffering, in our weakness, it's not that, the, it's not that our, our glory is in the broken parts of who I am. It's not that my, my glory is in the suffering that we have to experience in this world. And I think about even Jesus as he was on his way to the cross. He didn't say, yay, suffering. Hebrews says he despised the shame. Despised. It's like a, it's a strong word. And I think, about, I think about my weakness. I think about my failures. I think about difficult, suffering things in this world. And it's okay to say, I despise that. That's disgusting. Suffering is not how things are meant to be. But, but it's not. So as we despise those situations that God has brought us in, as we say, this is wicked. These things are difficult. I am weak. The, the, these are the genuine means that he uses by his spirit. That suffering is the genuine means that he uses by his spirit so that we could understand by his spirit the things that he's freely given to us. He's brought us these situations so that we could understand the things, so that we could find true glory. So that we could find glory that's, that we can rest in. So we could find that is satis satisfactory so that we could find glory that we didn't have to sit over and over again so that we could, we could have hope and joy peace and all of the things that he's freely given to us. And, and we've, we've kind of went over a handful of those even in the, in the first part of Corinthians. He talks about how Jesus has become for us our, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And we kind of unpack those a little bit. But he, he also talks about how Jesus is our wisdom and our power uh, we, we talked about the, the love that the Father has for us as we're set apart. We talked about the very Spirit of God that's given to us, that's living inside of us to equip us for these things. He's, 
He's promised to work out all of these things for our good, for those to love him. There's, there's so many wonderful, good promises in the gospel that, that we can cling to and begin to open our eyes to see that, that God actually works in our suffering and our weakness so that we can understand and really value these things. So that we can understand and really rest in everything that we have in the gospel. You know, I think about, you know, people that are difficult, or that are hard, relationships that are hard, offenses that, that I've had to, to deal with, as we all kind of have to deal with. And, it, and we can say, Lord, I don't, this is something that I despise because this is not how you designed your creation to be. But you have brought this suffering into my life so that I could better understand the things freely given to me from you. You have brought the distaste of man into my life so I can rest in and finally begin to appreciate the love and satisfaction that I have in relation to you, my heavenly father. You, you have brought the suffering into my life so that I can begin by the spirit in a supernatural way to genuinely find my glory in my suffering and my weakness. This is where the spirit really works to open our eyes so we can see all of the things that is given to us by God. And I think about difficult environments that we're in. I think about work that's just overwhelming. We're just, there's, there's no possible way to consider all the things that are going on or, or maybe it's just like getting in the way of the rest of our lives and we're struggling. And, and, and it's easy to go down all of these different scenarios and, well, how can I handle this? Or, or what can I change about this? Or how can I, how, and we just get kind of overwhelmed with all these things. But this is, this is suffering and weakness that helps us rest in the promises of God. This is suffering and weakness that, that God is using to enable us to understand all the things that have been freely given to us by God. I think I, one that's really comforting to me, especially just being in church leadership, Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me, I will raise up on the last day and I, and, and I will not lose a single one of them. I will not lose a single one of them. And I, and I can, I, as I pray for people, as I stress about whatever else is going on, as I think about what's going on in people's lives, it's just comforting for me to say, Lord, you are handling this. I don't have to handle this. I don't, I don't have to worry. I can rest and I can find glory in the fact that Jesus is orchestrating every little tiny thing in Emmaus to, to rescue every single one of the people that God has given to the Son. And Jesus says, don't worry. I will raise them up on the last day. I, that's an, that's, as I think about and pray for your children, that's what I think about. God will raise up and rescue every single person that's been given to him by the Father. And it's a, just an encouraging fact to rest in. And I, there's so many, you know, I think about, I think about ourselves and when we struggle internally. So maybe that's a more difficult one. Sometimes we're, we're just sucked into this spiral, whether it's anxiety or whether it's depression, and we it's like we know things that are true, but it's so difficult to break out of this, this, this space that we're in. And I think that God is really showing us our weakness. God is really showing us our weakness. And, and I think about the shame we could have for things that we've done or, or, or something we, maybe we just did or something that sort of weighs on us or burdens us. And, and, and God is saying, look, I know you're weak. I know you're suffering but I want you to rest in 
I want you to understand. I want you to find joy and peace. I want you to find your glory in everything that you are in Christ. I want you to find your true worth and value in everything you are united to my beloved son who, who handled his entire life perfectly, who accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished perfectly. I want you to, I want you to really understand. I want you to pursue and I want you to strive to just grapple with and grow in and, and enjoy what's been freely given to you by everything that my son has done. That's why God brings these sufferings into our lives. That's why we have to wrestle with weakness. That's why the spirit has to open our eyes so that we can see the glory that's really found and in weakness. And I really like what he says in verse 13. He just kind of reminds us of this element of the community because we can often, we kind of think we're on an island as we wrestle with these things. He says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. We speak this, we impart this, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. And it's this idea, as we speak these true things to each other, as we encourage each other, and we impart these things, these good gifts that God has given us via his Spirit, as we, as we display the beauty of the gospel, to one another. People who are indwelled with the Spirit are going to benefit from that. People, people who, who have been given the Spirit are going to understand the beauty of the gospel that we share with each other. And that's why we're, that's why we're meant to be in a community together. We're meant to impart spiritual truths or, or things from the Spirit to one another so that we can grow in our understanding, so that we can be convicted when we are thinking of the Spirit of this age, so that we can find joy and peace in the, in the spiritual or the, these realities that are in scripture that come from the spirit. So there's this idea that we're sort of meant to do this together. And, it, and at the same time, we can, this is why we pray for the Lord to work in his spirit to convict people of their sin and to unite them to his son. Because that's what we want. We want other people to have this same spirit so that they can find their glory, their joy, their peace, their rest, and everything that God given to them in Jesus Christ. This is, where we, this is why we pray for the Spirit to move in those that we love because when the Spirit unites himself to, to people that we love, we begin to be able to interpret spiritual things to spiritual people because as soon as the Spirit has opened your eyes to see the wonderful gifts that God has given us, that's where as a community then we can build each other up in those things. So I'm really encouraged by the fact that he, he just brings up kind of in this train of thought that this is a together activity. And he kind of goes on he kind of goes on to sort of then warn us of things that, that, that sort of hinder us from growing in what we have been freely given by Christ. He goes on to sort of warn us about the, one of the main things that can actually keep us from growing or keep us from finding that glory that comes in suffering and weakness. And that's, that's ultimately, it's our pride. But look at what he says in verses 14 and 15. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. That's kind of a confusing verse. Because later Paul actually says, hey, don't judge those outside the community. 
that's not your job, but you should judge people inside the community. There's an aspect of like, God wants his community to look like Christ. We should all collectively be concerned about that. But here he's saying the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. And I don't, I don't know why they change the word sometimes, but in verse 14 where it says spiritually discerned, that word for judgment there is discerned. And I, and I think both of those words can be sort of used in that context. I was thinking about if I want to go eat after church today, how do I judge or how do I discern where I'm going to go? You know, I look at Google. I'm like, all right, this got three stars, not so much. This has 4.8. It says 87% match to all the things I like because you're stalking me. Um, but that's probably a good sign. Um, you know, what does the pictures of the food look like? So we're, trying, we're judging. We're sort of judging or discerning where we want to go between all these different choices. And this idea that the, the spiritual person, this is the, the idea that the person of the spirit, the person that has the spirit is actually able to discern all things, not because of the person, but because of the spirit living in them. It's this idea that it's the spirit that enables us to discern these things. And it's, you know, I thought it was like silly analogy, but if I was outside trying to figure out where to go to eat, and like the sky opened up and, and rolled back and a voice spoke from heaven and was like, Aaron, Skippy's is the best place to eat in Glendale. They have good nachos. They're right off the trail. You know, like there's this, like I no longer need to discern what is the best place to eat. Uh, I don't, my limited knowledge is no longer applied to the situation. God has spoken on it. And I think that's what he's getting at right here is the person who leans on the thoughts of God from the very spirit of God, they are able to discern all things because it's God who is the creator of everything it's God who who knows every tiny little fact and every how they all connect he withholds it by the word of his power it's God that knows all these things so when we discern something through the spirit through the very thoughts of God then, then no one can be the judge of that because this is coming from God himself and I like what Carl Truman said about this idea this idea that God works, God works glory in our suffering and our weakness. He's a theologian, a historian of, of Martin Luther. And he says one of the most significant things that we kind of overlook about Martin Luther's work is he calls it the theologian of the cross versus the theologian of glory. And, he, and, he's, and he's coming from the same place in 1 Corinthians. And, and Martin Luther is, is very emphatic that God doesn't work God doesn't work how we think he should work. He actually works glory in suffering and in weakness, or he would say in the cross, and this idea that we're, we have cross-shaped lives. And Truman is commenting on this, and he says the cross is paradigmatic, or it's a, it's a pattern for how God will deal with believers who are united with Christ. So it's not just that Jesus died on the cross out here, and we benefit from that. 100% true, yes, that's the case. But the cross is a pattern for Christian lives, who are Christians who are united to Christ. And he goes, in short, great blessing will come through great suffering. This point is hard for those of us in the affluent West to swallow. Like, like you couldn't say that more straightforwardly. That's tough to swallow. That's difficult. And I think that's what Paul is saying as he goes on in the next section. He says, Verse 16, he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In our pride, we say, Lord, this isn't how I find glory. In our pride, we say, hey, I, I know where glory is found. 
It's found in this situation not being a problem. I, I know where glory is found. It's found in you fixing me. I don't like my weakness. Paul says, if I boast in anything, I'd boast in my weakness so that Christ could be made strong. But we, 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 we mansplain the creator of the universe and say, Lord, uh, you're doing this wrong. This isn't how this should work. And, and when we do that, and we don't, you know, we don't outwardly say that all the time, but sometimes that plays itself out in the things that we pray for. Are we pray, praying that we would better understand the wonderful glory and things that, that are found freely given to us in the gospel? Or are we praying, Lord, change the circumstance, change the situation? And I think those are things we can pray for, and I, there's an appropriateness to that. We despise sin. We, we don't like things that are broken. No, like we, and Jesus prayed for it. Lord, if there's another way than the cross, let there, let there be another way. He said, but your will be done. And I think deep down, we, we don't trust him and we want to instruct him and we want to say, Lord, I know you brought this circumstance into my life, but I think you're doing it wrong. So if you could just change this about me, if you could just change this about other people, if you could just change this about the environment I'm in, then we'd be good. And it's our pride. It's that pride. And we have, each have to kind of examine ourselves and, and think about where we're at. But it's that pride that we have that we know better that keeps us from understanding and keeps us from enjoying the benefits of the gospel and all the wonderful things that have been freely given to us by God. I think Paul is sort of reminding us of that in this last sentence. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. And it's this idea that we're united to a savior who discerns all things and says, I find glory in my suffering and my weakness. We're, we're united to the Messiah, the king, who took on the form of a servant. And because we're united to him, we understand the beauty. Maybe, maybe not in every little part of our lives, and maybe not 100%, but we really begin to understand if we look at the cross, and we look at what Jesus has done, and we look at the mind that he has, and we say, you know what, Lord? You do work glory and suffering and weakness. You've proven it to us. You do work glory in suffering and in weakness. And when we're taught by the Spirit, when we discern these spiritual things, when we're taught by the Spirit, we can recognize when we have that pride and say, Lord, I repent of that. I shouldn't think that way. I want to instruct you. And we can say, we can come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest and say, Lord, help me Rest in, understand, and enjoy the beauty of everything that you've freely, freely given me in the gospel. And when we're, when we're taught by the Spirit, we can, we can genuinely see that God works glory, glory that we can pursue in our suffering and in our weakness. And thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, this, this reality that he's given to Spirit. He's united us to his Son, so that we can actually find glory that nobody else can find in suffering and in weakness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness when we push back on you. Thank you for your patience when we don't even realize that's what we're doing. 
Lord, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit does, that he would convict us of just the, convict us of the, where we can find glory. Convince us that you work in suffering and weakness so that we could rest and have joy and have peace in what you've given us in your gospel, Lord. Convict us when we push back in pride. Convict us when we get impatient that you will someday resolve all these things, Lord. I thank you that you work powerfully through your word and through your spirit. And I pray as we go through this series that we would not forget that you, we need your spirit to understand these things. We need, we need to recognize that you work in not plausible ways, but in powerful ways. And we, we need to know where to find glory, Lord. And you've shown us, you've shown us that we find glory in a cross and suffering and weakness. So I pray that you would just burn those things into our minds so that we could worship and enjoy and glorify you. Uh, today, the rest of the week, and even as we go through this series. In your name I pray, amen.